This morning as we begin, I just want to say thank you for all the, the, the men that helped with the cleanup uh, around our facilities and uh, did some of the, the work around our, our garden areas, and we appreciate that. Uh, again, we wanted to thank uh, God for all those who've been uh, participating in a variety of different ministries uh, over the last a number of weeks, and again, I, we want you to consider praying about being involved in our outreach, our, our Good News Club. But I also want to share that we had, uh, oh, and also those who, who actually got your picture taken. Uh, we had uh, quite a few people come Friday and Saturday. There won't be any pictures this Sunday, uh, t- which is today. Um, the, the photographer's not coming back today, and so if somehow you were hoping for that to kind of somehow come in, that, that's not quite uh, available today. But a couple of announcements before we uh, look in God's Word. We had a few graduations this week, uh, not particularly expected, but we have a couple of our, our members that came, went home to be with the Lord. Had an opportunity to be with Larry Choice last night, late last night, and early this morning. Um, he went to see his Savior, and we want to be praying for Lucy as well as the rest of the family. And then also uh, uh, Al Benson, who I've had opportunity to talk with over the last couple of weeks. His wife, Delma, has been in the hospital and, and also in Palm Terrace, and he went home to be with the Lord on Thursday night. Uh, so we want to be praying for Delma as she uh, struggles to get her health back and her uh, lifelong uh, partner, is now with the Lord. And so as we think about life, uh, we need to recognize until the Lord comes, there's going to be the reality of death, but it's not the final chapter, and we can put our reservation in ahead of time, knowing where we're going to spend eternity, and we thank you that uh, both Al and Larry have put their faith in Christ and are now living with him. So before we look in God's Word, again, let's look at the Lord in prayer, pray for those particular families as we also look in His Word in a few moments. Let's pray together. Well, we do come and we really do want to have an eternal perspective. This is a graduation time when we go home to be with the Lord and we do not uh, grieve for them. We grieve for, for those who are loved ones and friends of uh, the departed and we just ask that you might give that comfort and that peace that passes understanding. And Father, might you call us all to recognize that, that life in terms of eternity is short and that you want us to be prepared for what happens next. And we thank you that you want us to have an assurance of where we'll spend eternity. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks clearly. Help us to listen uh, profoundly and see what you have for us this day. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, One of my favorite stories is uh, the story of uh, a father and a son. And and this is their experience together as they decide they just want to spend the day together. Uh, A man took his son fishing one day. And after a few hours in the boat with not much to do, the son started asking his father some questions. How does the boat float, he asked. And the man thought about the question for a moment and then said, I don't really know, son. Well, how do the fish breathe underwater? Have you ever thought about that? How do they do that? The man scratched his head. I guess I don't know the answer to that one either. Why is the sky blue, the boy persisted. And the father replied, I really don't know, son. When, uh, when Mark was younger, uh, I said Mark's middle name was Question, you know, Question Mark. Okay, so, um, you know, you get these questions and you're just all ready to give some kind of profound answer and you just can't come up with anything. So the boy started to worry that his father was getting upset at all the questions. Do you mind me asking questions, Dad? And his father immediately reassured him, No, of course not, son. If you don't ask questions, you'll never learn anything. <laughs> You know, sometimes we ask people questions and we're expecting something to come uh, that will really help us out in terms of understanding what we're struggling with. And we find out that they don't know anything more than we do. 
And that's going to happen in life, that we will go to people that we hope have answers, and really they don't have answers. They have the same questions that we have. And yet the Word of God is totally different than that. The Word of God is the place where we can really discover what truth is really all about and how to live it out and experience it to its fullest. This past week, uh, on one particular day, I was with the Association of Churches that we belong to. It's called Transformation Ministries, which is historically a group of Baptist, Bible-centered churches that are, are trying to present the message of Christ. And the speaker there, interesting, his name is Randy Frazee. He, he works with Max Licato down in Texas and is, is actually the leading pastor, uh, lead pastor there, teaching pastor there. And he, he made a statement that, that Barner Research had decided that they would go into the, the, the large, healthy churches and ask them a very simple question. And the question would be, how would you define a disciple of Christ? What is true Christianity? Or if, as we would put it here, our purpose statement as a church is to honor God by helping more people become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now, the question is, what is a fully devoted follower of Christ? What is a disciple? What is a Christian? And hopefully this morning, that's what you're wrestling, to make sure you really have an answer in the affirmative, that you know what a Christian is, and you are one of those. But to be sure that you're one of those, you need to know what that, that animal is. What does it mean to be a true follower of Jesus Christ? And they said in the thousands of people they asked that were coming out of these very, what we would consider very healthy churches, they found that not in one church was there a similar response to the question. Now, there were a variety of things that people said, but none of it was a unified response to it. Now, what's interesting to me is, as I was preparing for this week, I decided that I was going to lead with that. You know, what truly is a Christian? What, what is a disciple of Christ? What is a fully devoted follower of Christ? And this is a growing thing as we, in, as we come to faith and then live out our faith. But what essentially is a person that knows Christ in a real way? And really we're looking at it as authentic living, particularly as it relates to God. And so as I wrestle with it, I want to give you my definition of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And when I say mine, this is based on the Word of God, and I'll throw in a few verses here as, as we look at it. But if I were to put that together, I would say there's, there's four main things that you could put your, your mind around. It involves the, the, the active part of this definition. That if you're a, a true disciple of Christ, that you're trusting, you're delighting, you're spreading, and you're honoring. Now, putting that together, this, this is how I would, I would put a definition of a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, Christi- or, what is true Christianity? Christianity is trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior. As we think about that, the Apostle Paul, as he was trying to move the church at Rome out into authentic living for Christ, he made this statement in terms of the beginning of that, that relationship with God. He said in Romans 10, 9, That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And when you think about being a a fully devoted follower of Christ, a true disciple of Christ, really understanding true Christianity, it it begins with faith. 
But so often we, we take that word faith and we, we somehow define it as agreeing intellectually with certain facts. And that's not a saving faith. A saving faith is a faith that trusts. And it's an ongoing trust. And it's trusting primarily in a person, the truth about the person. But it's, it's trusting in Jesus. And what is it you're trusting in? You're trusting that he is Lord. That he is the one who's supposed to be the master of your life. He is the one who's to be in charge. So Christianity is trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And to believe that Jesus is not only the one who ought to be in charge of life as Savior is believing something about yourself, isn't it? To believe in that Jesus or trust in Jesus as your Savior is making a statement that you need to be what? Saved. And what do you need to be saved from? You need to be saved from your sin. So what is Christianity? Christianity is trusting in Jesus as, as Lord or leader of your life, the master of your life, and him being the savior of life that you need desperately to be forgiven of your sins. But as we think of all that the word of God has said about a relationship with him, I, I think we need to fill that out a little bit. Not only are we come to that point where we confess from our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God is raised from the dead and then we'll be saved. Trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Then in selfless dependence, we are to delight in him. So uh, true Christianity is believing in Jesus as Lord and Savior, trusting in, in Jesus as Lord and Savior, and, del- and in selfless dependence, delighting in him. See, the Bible says that we are, we are to find our, our source of greatest joy in the living God. In fact, Jesus even said to his disciples, if you want to leave, go and leave. And they responded back and said, where else would we go? The Bible says in Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. In Philippians 4, verse 4, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. In John 15, 11, Jesus said this, I want you to understand, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you joy. And not just joy, but full joy. And not just joy, full joy. I want to give you my joy. And so a a true follower of Christ, a true disciple, finds his greatest joy or delight in him. And, And that will look like a person who in selfless dependence is connected to him. What is Christianity? Christianity is trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior and in selfless dependence, delighting in him. But it's not a passive commitment to Christ because it's delighting in him and spreading his message everywhere. And Acts chapter one, as as Jesus is taking off, he says, I want you to wait for this. And he says, in, and then he says in verse eight, here's the promise, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses, both locally in Jerusalem and in the surrounding areas, Samaria, and then even to the remotest part of the earth. None of us can be a true follower of Jesus Christ unless our heart burns for the message of Jesus Christ to go not just somewhere, but everywhere. Everywhere. 
But as we want that message to go everywhere, not only in terms of the verbal message, we need to understand that, that our lives ought to look like Jesus. So it's in spreading his message everywhere and honoring him in every way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it says this, And whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I want you to wrestle within your own heart and mind. You don't have to take this definition, though. I think it's a profound one. But what is being a truly disciple of Jesus Christ to you? What is true Christianity? I submit to you, it's, it's trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior. In selfless dependence, delighting in him, in spreading his gospel everywhere, and in honoring him in every way. Now, we'll all have a different part in how that works out and lives out. Uh, we'll be supporting people who will go overseas. We'll be uh, looking at ways that we can be involved in particular ministries. And we talked about the Good News Club today. But that's our heart. We want the message to go everywhere. And we want in everything we do to honor him. Anything short of that is, is not true Christianity. It's maybe con, somehow conforming to a cultural view of what it means to be religious it's, it's kind of adopting into the, whatever they say, the Judeo-Christian ethic. But a vital relationship with God changes everything. And that's why Paul, he just pleaded with him after he talked about all that Christ had done. He, he said, I want you now to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And as we're in this section in the New Testament, particularly in this letter that was written to the church at Ephesus. And as we look at the, the second half of this book, this letter, Paul, first of all, tells them all about the riches found in Christ. And now he says, I want you to live it out. But, but the question that always challenges, so how do I do that? How do I live out this which God has called me to? Well, that's what we want to look at, look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Most of the text is in your bulletin this morning, but we're going to look at a couple other passages as well. And I want to answer the question, how do we generally live out what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ? And picking up the flow of the book, it's first of all knowing the riches we have in Christ and in his church. And that's why we do life not individually, but collectively together. But then it gets to a point where we critically understand what this is all about. Now, what's interesting in both the Old Testament and New Testament, God wants to get his message across. This book, though, it's a big book, and it's written over you know, 1,500 years, and we've got all these things trying to figure out what's happening in terms of a timeline, who's he speaking to, and, and, and trying to put the pieces together. But this is a book that God wants us to get, not just read. And often when he begins to challenge us in terms of what we ought to be and do, he puts it pretty simply. And when you challenge people to live out what they call their faith, you can put in both the positive and the negative. And if you've been reading with us in our personal time with God, our PT with God, we've just been going through the book of Exodus and, and we went over the Ten Commandments. And if you notice the Ten Commandments, is both said in the positive and the negative. Did you notice that? There's the thou, thou shalt and the thou shalt not. And what I want to give you this morning, really simply, I want you to give you a, a don't and a do. 
I don't and I do. And this really kind of pictures, I think, what it means to live out what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. So look at this morning. I give you one don't and one do as we see what Paul told the church at Ephesus. As he said, I want you to live out your faith at church. I want you to live it out at home. And I want you to live it out in the marketplace or where you work. This is a life that needs to be lived and not just simply thought about as I agree with those tenets of the faith. This is who I am. So look, let's look at it this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 17. And what I want to give you that, the big idea, and then let's look at the text. The first, first point, don't. Don't live like the person you used to be and others really are. Don't live like the person you used to be and others really are. And within that, what we're going to see this morning is that God, again, has made a dramatic change in the person who has decided and committed to follow him. He has made a complete miracle in your life. And he says, don't go back to what you used to be. And also looking at how others people really are. Let's look at the text. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore... Again, based on all that God has done and challenged us to be. And testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk. And when he's talking about walking, he's not talking about getting some exercise around, around your neighborhoods. He's talking about your pattern of life, the way you live out. Uh, challenge him to authentic living, genuine living, real living for Christ. That you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Basically in the Bible, the Bible describes two types of people. It uses an ethnic illustration. There are people who are Jews and those people who are Gentiles. And in, as you look at in the Bible, particularly in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 5, it says the Gentiles were people who did not know God. As God was getting his message out in the beginning, as he gave the promises to the ethnic people of, of Abraham, as he developed that nation Israel in which all the nations would be blessed, he categorized those who knew God were people of God's covenant faith. And those who were not of that were Gentiles, non-Jews. And so what he is saying is, I don't want you to live as people who do not know God. And then he describes who they are. He says, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. Now, we, we could try to unpack every single word in this, in this passage, but let me just highlight it here. He says there's an option for people. There's an option for people even who have crossed over the line of faith, who have come to that point where they said in their heart of hearts, I'm trusting Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, in selfless dependence, I'm not going to live this life for myself. Jesus says in, in, in no uncertain terms, he said, if any man come after me, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. So in a commitment of selfless dependence upon the one who's calling me to live, I put my delight, I put my source of joy in him and not in this world. And then I'm committed to his mission, his mission of spreading this message everywhere. And I'm no longer committed to honoring myself, but to the one who came for me in every way. If that is the... If that is the choice of your life, then, then Paul is pleading with them. Then don't go back to live like people who do not know God. And then he describes the people who do not know God. He, he, he looks at their mind and he looks at their heart. 
He says they have, a, they have futility in their mind, which basically means that they can try as hard as they want, but they're, they're not going to change. Their lives are headed in a certain direction, and if they're left to themselves, they will be futile. They'll be vain. It will not work. And then he describes in this way, because of their understanding is darkened. So, so how does he describe, or how could we kind of summarize what he says about a person who does not know God? They have a dark mind. A dark mind. Have you ever watched anything in the media or in the music world and just wondering, where are these people coming from? And you're, you're like shocked by the stuff that's going on. Even this morning, I was up early. I was just doing some stuff. And I, you know, I just went through Yahoo News on the Internet. And, you know, and, and they had a whole article on you know, how the Hannah, Man, uh, Hannah Montana, the good girl goes what? Bad. Where's Miley Cyrus going? Definitely an achy, breaky what? <laughs> all right. All right. Where, does that, where does that come from? It comes from a mind that's darkened. And we should not be surprised when, when people do what they do. Because that's where they are. That's where they really are. In the Gospel of John, you know, chapter 3, verse 16, I think a few of us know us. For God so loved the... The world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's go down a little bit further in that text. And he said that, that men and you could say women and young people, they love darkness because their deeds are evil. And, and so we need to understand that there is, there is an old way of life and the only way you can describe it is filled with darkness. In Colossians chapter 1, it says that, that when God brings us into relationship with him, he transfers us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of what? Of light. And so again, as we think about being a, a, an authentic, genuine follower of Jesus Christ, at the heart of this is that we don't want to live like people who do not know God. When you really look close at how they live and why they live, it's because they have a dark mind. I was talking to Brand this week, and he's talking about some additional people in the music world, and it just blew my mind away in terms of some of the things they're into. But it should not surprise me. And when I look at where so many parts of our society and world is going. It should not surprise me. Because it comes from a darkened mind. Theologians put it this way. It's the depravity of man. And then they add a word to it to make sure we understand. It's the total depravity of man. That, that our heart is desperately wicked and who can know it. And he's speaking to people who are not those kinds of people. But he says, but don't live like that. This verse three. Turn your Bibles to First Peter chapter four.
Peter writes to, again, followers of Christ, and he just challenges that don't, don't do this anymore. Don't, don't get caught up in this. And he says in verse 3, For we have, we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, which basically is saying doing the will of people who do not know God. And then he describes for when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Now, he gives a list there, and we could, we could update that with words that are used today in terms of describing things that people get into. But he's saying, look, you're living for yourself, not in selfless dependence, delighting in God. You're, you're living in self-interest uh, for your own sake, and you're, you're living, delighting in what the world has to offer. But this is what he says about people who live in that way, in that, in that world. Verse 4, in regard to those, they think it is strange that you do not run with them in the same Flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Now, that's just biblical language saying this. Your friends who do not live this way are just trying to draw you back into this life. And they just make fun. How can, why are you wasting your life by just doing what, you know, what, you know, religious people do? You're missing life. And their, their passion is to get you involved in what they're doing. Now. This doesn't have to be just in the what we would consider the obvious dark parts of life. But, but we can be caught up in our own desires, those things that are maybe are good but are consuming us. With our, with our passions are not to please God, it's just, just to do life and get as much out of it as we can. And, and Paul pleads with him in Ephesians, don't go down that path. That's the path of a dark mind. But, but then he goes 18 inches down from the mind to the heart. And, and then he describes back in Ephesians chapter 4 as the heart in verse 18. Because the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. One of the most powerful miracles that Jesus did was to take a man in John chapter 9 who was born blind and gave him what? Sight. And what was interesting is, is, is this miracle, an obvious miracle. They knew this, this, this man from his birth. They knew his parents. They knew everything about him. They knew he was legitimately incapable of seeing, had no sight. And when this miracle arose, they began to challenge him. And then they began to challenge the person who he said performed that miracle in them. But then he was very clear. He said, I don't understand everything, but I know this. I once was blind. But now I what? I see. And so Paul pleads with them, do not go back to living the life you used to have. That's not who you are. And that's where he turns to the more directed truth for them to understand. This is what you once were, but you no longer are. And maybe there are many people around you who are living this life, but that's not who you are. And that goes from what not to do, don't live the life you used to be, and others really are, to the do. And the do is, do live the life that God has made you to be and to become. Do live as the person God has made you to be. Look at verses 20, and we'll just go to verse 24 this morning. He says this, but you have not learned You have not so learned Christ this way. If indeed, and here's the challenging point. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him. So as he speaks to this group of people in the church at Ephesus, 
He says, I'm speaking to you as children of God. But but for some of you, you need to check this out because maybe this is not really, really where you are and who you are. Because if you really are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have not been taught this way. And if somehow you are living this life fully and completely and it doesn't bother you, then maybe you never did learn of Christ. You know, a disciple, interesting that the word mathetes means learner or follower. Someone who has been fully taught. And he said, if you have not got this, if you've somehow missed this, then you really don't have a relationship with God. But let me speak to you as, as, as those who have now been dramatically changed by God. And this is what I want you to do. I, I want you to now live as the person God has made you to be. He's not asking him to be this person. God has already made that to happen. But I want you to live like that. I want you to put it in operation. He said in verse 21, If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, it's going to get a little heavy here for a moment. But, but I want you to understand what Paul was emphasizing here. He said, I want you to now live as the person God has made you to be. Because he, he speaks about what has happened if you are a true disciple. What has happened if you're experiencing true Christianity? You have, you have made that step that has revolutionized your life. Now, now live like it. Now, what happens at conversion? And what's, what's missing often in English text is, is the tenses of these verbs in, 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 in the Greek language. He, he speaks of not something he wants them to do, but what they had already done. What happens when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ? He said, I no longer want to live my old life. I now want to live a new life. And, and this is not just kind of a self-help religious step. This is saying, I want to trade something here. I want to take my old life and I want to throw it away. And I want God to give me a new life. And we've been trying to emphasize that so often during this series, particularly in the last number of weeks. That when if anyone is in Christ, he is a what kind of creation? A new creation. The old things have what? Passed away. And behold, new things have what? Come. And so he says, I want you to understand you are a new person and the old self is now gone. And now you are a new self. The Bible says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And it says in Romans chapter 6, or I think around verse 4 or around verse 6, where he says that your old self has been crucified with, with Christ. Now, if, you, if your old self was crucified with Christ, your old self is now what? Dead. You know, people who got crucified didn't do very good at breathing afterwards, all right? And the Bible says that when you make that, that commitment to Christ, you're saying that old life, that old self is now dead. And that's the tense of the word. You have put off the old self. Now I want you to live like you put off the old self. You have put on the new self. Now I want you to live out your life in relationship to being a new person, a new creature in Christ. Now, let's look at that again a little bit slower. 
He said in verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. He's saying, look, if if you are living out your life with simply who you were in the past, that is not going to get better. Because what it does, it progressively is corrupted. It's controlled by its own desires. But what you have done when you come to Christ is say, okay, I'm getting rid of that. And what I want is have Christ give me that which I cannot give myself, which is a new life. The old self is dead. And then he says, okay, in light of that, I want you to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, which means the ongoing thing of that is with the new self, I want the spirit of God and the truth of God to mature who you are. You might understand more fully who you are in Christ. And then he says that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in righteousness and holiness. I'm now a new person in Christ. Now, the picture here is when you encounter God, to say you, when you encounter God, do you have uh, dirty clothes on or do you have clean clothes on? Dirty clothes, right? The Bible says that, that you... Uh, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That we are clothed in our own righteousness. And even our own righteousness is what, what before God. Like, like dirty rags. It's filthy rags. So when we come to God, we're, we're clothed with the, the filthy rags of our own behavior, our own sin. He said, when you make that commitment to Christ, you take off those sins. You take off those old filthy garments and you throw them away. And, and he said, but you can't be left naked. So what I want you to now, I want you to put on brand new clothes, the clothes of Christ. And, and are they clean or dirty? They're clean, fully clean. You, you become not only as white as snow, but whiter than snow. And he said, now I want you to live in light of you have clean clothing on rather than on dirty clothes. Now, let me just ask you this. When, uh, in fact, a number of our men were out uh, digging in the dirt and... Um, and uh, Throwing stuff around, we were kind of that ground's kind of like manure ground and whatever it might be. And once you get dirty, okay, how, how do you? Uh, maybe you've been out working in the yard and stuff like that. Are you that careful about what you might touch or what you might be involved in? I mean, once your clothes are dirty, once your clothes are dirty, you just <laughs> can't get any worse than this. You know, just, just go for it. I, when I'm camping, once once I get in the dirt, when I'm camping, you know. Uh, then the whole day I go, well, I'm already dirty. I'm just, I'm just going to play in the dirt. It doesn't really matter. I'm just going to go live. But, but let's say all of a sudden you just uh, took a shower and you put on some clean clothes and maybe, maybe the clothes are actually very light. Maybe they're even white. Okay? Before you sit down, what do you normally do? If you've if you got white pants on, what do you, if you're really careful, what do you do? And you check the seat, make sure it's all wiped off. Okay, if, if you're eating, you've got a white shirt on, uh, you, you want to make sure that, you know, particularly if you're drinking soup, you know, you kind of make sure you get it off. And so, uh, you know, Mark, I already mentioned that, you know, when he was young, man, all he did was ask questions. It was just question mark all the time, okay? Uh, but also, when, when he was growing up, whatever, whatever he wore and whatever he ate was on his shirt. I mean, it was everywhere. It was just like, Mark, I mean, can't, can't you hit your mouth? It's big enough, all right? You know, and, and but um, I'll probably hear about that one. But anyway, uh, but, you know, w- when you're clean, you're very careful about how you live. I mean, how, how, what you do next, right? Because you don't want to take that which is clean and make it dirty. And, and that's simply what he's saying here. I, I want you to understand the Christian life is understanding that, that your old self 
is now gone. And now you have a new self. And you need to live in light not only that you are clean, but you have the power to be clean. But you might be thinking, okay, well, yeah, but, okay, you're making it sound that if I am clean, then I should never have any problem with, with living for God. Now, there is, a, there is a battle going on. In fact, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. And I think in your outline, I, I find that the new man is this. The new man is what you are now. You are now a new man. And, and some people, and this is the difference that I would have in terms of understanding Scripture. Some people say you have both an old man and a new man. You have an old self and a new self. It, basically, the problem I have with that is that that makes you somewhat schizophrenic. You know, what, what, okay, who, who, who's living right now? Is the old man living or the new man living? Now, we can live like the old man, but I am one person. And, and the Apostle Paul, as he talks about in Romans chapter 7, he describes the dilemma that he is having in, in terms of living out his faith. But he doesn't, doesn't change the idea of, of what uh, the challenge there. And in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, he says this. For, what am I doing? I do not understand. For what I will to do... And that I do not practice, but what I hate that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I, I agree with the law that is good, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Let me just put it this way. If you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, and, and, and say you've just uh, kind of broken that verse that we've uh, urged you to memorize this week, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word that is for necessary, necessary edification that it may give or impart grace to its hearers. Shake your head like you knew you're supposed to memorize that verse this week. But anyway, okay, it is, that's a pretty challenging verse. Let nothing come out of your mouth which puts people down. You know, but, but you ought to say things that build people up. And I'm not talking you can have fun with people, but I'm saying are you trying to help people or hurt people? Uh, since I threw Mark underneath the bus, I, I might as well throw Brandon on the bus, you know. Brad and I have sometimes a little challenge with this, this particular verse. Sometimes, you know, we, we, we go a little bit further than we should in terms of giving people kind of a bad time or, or whatever it might be. And the problem with that kind of humor, it can go too far, way too quick. And he just said something, and I, and I just and I said, now, Brandon, do, do you really want to say that which just hurt somebody? Now, he struggled with that, I mean, because he loved saying it. It was so funny, and, he, you know, it went real well. <laughs> But, but then he says, you know, I, I didn't really want to hurt that person. And see, if you really enjoy the results and the consequences of the sin that you're involved in, then you're probably not truly a child of God. Because Paul says part, part of his experience with God is that when he did things that he knew that was wrong... Man, it just frustrated him. Because I, I really don't want to be a person that's known that he can't be trusted because we bear false witness or we lie. I, 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 don't, want to, I don't want to be known as a person who, who doesn't really truly care about people and, and love them. And, or I don't want to be known as a person that, man, you, man he can't control his tongue. And that, see, that's where Paul was. And I think part of understanding that you're a child of God is the things that you used to do that didn't bother you, they now bother you. The, the things that you could do and you didn't even think, think, think twice about it. And now, now when you do it, it, all of a sudden God just convicts you of that being sin. 
See, that's the new self. You don't really, truly enjoy the sin that you used to commit. I mean, sin is enjoyable. That's why people do it. But, but now for a child of God, you, you no longer have that pleasure in that which grieves the heart of God and hurts people around you and, and your testimony for him. And so, so Paul says, you know, I, I don't understand this. The things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I don't want to do, I, you know, I, I do want to do, I don't. And what's the problem here? Well, it goes on in verse 17. But now it's no longer I who do it, but, but sin that dwells in me. So there's something around me or in me that, that causes me to sin. Verse 18, for I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the will is present with me, but now to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not do that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I I find then that a law that is evil is present within me, one who dwells to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members waging against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity or the law of of the sin which is in my members. Who will deliver me from this wretched body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, some people equate the flesh there as being the old man or the old self. And you have those two warring identities within your life. You have like the, the... the good man and the bad man, you know, on, on shoulder. And which, which one are you listening to, the good man or the bad man? And, and, and I really believe you look at Paul carefully in Romans 6 and Romans 7. He said, I want you to know the true I is a new creature in Christ. And, and what I do on, on this side of eternity, I, I live in that part of me that will not be with me when I get to heaven. When I get to heaven, God's going to give me what kind of a body? A new body. And if, uh, if you look at all the new things God has done for us when we come to faith in Christ, he gives us a new heart. He gives us a new mind. He gives us a new identity. He gives us a new purpose. He gives us a new direction. But what he doesn't give us is a, is a new body. Now, some of us would like to have that. Uh, Brandon, he looked like 20 pounds too heavy on that film up there earlier. But he, you know, you know we, nah, that was his words. Okay, anyway. We, we would all like to have a better body right now, wouldn't we? And there's some things we can do to, to get our body a little bit better than it is. The Bible, the Bible does say body discipline profits a little. But godliness is a means of great gain. And, and what we still have on this side of eternity is this earth suit called the body. And it's the flesh. And it's through the flesh which the evil one in the world and our own desires of the past life is used to draw us into sin. And that's why Paul said it's, it's sin that's in within me. It's not that the physical body is sinful, but it's that avenue by which evil creeps in. I, I define it this way in your outline. The flesh. It's the physical desires and the habits of the old life which wage war in our body, but can be controlled by God's spirit. And that's the combination with our new self, our new identity in Christ. By the power of the spirit, we are able to overcome the desires of the flesh. But what happens is so ingrained, the habits of the old life, that we, we seem to 
fall into that pattern. There's many ways to illustrate that. Those who have played sports, maybe uh, particularly as you're growing up, there there were. I remember being involved in little league, and my kids being involved in little league. And you know, after each season, usually after every season, you start a new season, you have a new coach, and then after that, you'd have another coach, and until you got to some maybe high school days where you'd have the same coach for four years or whatever it might be. But just imagine after spending a year where a coach told you everything to do, you had to you had to go through this drill, and you had to play that position, and, and, and you had to uh, go to these amount of practices, and all things that coach was telling you to do. When that season is over, let, let's say all of a sudden you were walking uh, um, you know, near a ball field, and all of a sudden that coach, who, who no longer is your coach, comes up to you and says, okay, uh, Tony, take a lap. And all of a sudden Tony starts running like crazy, taking a lap, and, and all of a sudden Tony, halfway through that, what am I doing? He, he's not my coach anymore. But why am I running? Well, because I, I was so conditioned by my, my past season that whatever my coach told me to do, if I wanted to play, I better do it. And so he starts running around the track. Or, or the, same, the same thing. I, I remember as I was going through uh, school that, that I had summer jobs. Each summer job was different. I mean, it was one of those things. So I, I painted houses one summer. And I worked for the city um, trimming trees. And, you know, each, each job was different. I, I worked in a library one time. And uh, just trying to get some kind of money during the summer season to have something for, you know, the school year. But just think about if, if you know, when I worked for the city you know, in the next summer, and all of a sudden I was, I was maybe walking down a neighborhood and there, there was a truck and they're, they're trimming the trees and throwing in the chipper. And all of a sudden I said, hey, Mike, come over. You need to help us throw the, the trees into the, in the chipper. And all of a sudden I start picking up these trees and throwing them in and stuff like that. Wait a minute, what am I doing? I, I no longer work for the city. I'm not getting a paycheck from them. They have no right and authority to tell me what to do. And and yet I was doing what they told me to do. And all it is is the habits of the old life. It's the mean by which God uh, tells us that there's a war going on. And within us, we need to realize we we are new people. I'm no longer under their authority. I'm no longer under their power. Now, where is this? Oh, my well, where does this touch down where we live? I just looked at the clock. Um, for, for all of us, I was going to say for me, for all of this morning, we have points and places where we're falling into the old life. And the reason we're falling into the old life is not because we're not a new person in Christ, is that we... We have chosen to somehow be persuaded by others to live like we used to be and what others really are and want us to be like them. And we, we have to say no to the old life. But what we need to say is that we are capable in being a new person in Christ to say yes to what God wants us to be and to do. That God is able to do exceedingly above me on all that we can even ask or think according to the power that lives within us. That we are new people who can live to honor Him in every way and in every place. What is it in your life that you're drifting off to be like the world? Or like the old life. 
or be about like what everyone else around you is, is living for. And God said, why would you go back to that? Like the people in Israel, why would you go back to Egypt? I've set you free. You're no longer citizens of that place that enslaved you. Don't keep presenting your members to that which is unrighteous, but to that which is righteous. How are you living? Genuinely, authentically, as the person God has made you to be. Let's pray. Father, this touches down where all of us live. So often we think that we can't change because we don't realize all that's happened in us through Christ. There is a, war, there is a battle and a war raging, but it's, it's not who we really are. It's that which is in us and around us in the flesh and in the world and the evil one. We've got to be willing to say no to that which drags us down and say yes to that which is true about us. As we wrap up our worship time together, as we give unto you, might you speak to each one of us in specific ways of what we need to give to you. And we ask this in Christ's name.